What's happening, coaches? Uh, hopefully everyone's having a good off season so far. Good summer. Uh, getting the kids big in the weight room. Uh, don't forget our O-line, first ever O-line hot summit is coming at you guys uh, on the 24th of June. Again, it's June 24th through 30th. We'll show two or three presentations uh, every single day for that week. Uh, we've got presentations from coaches all across the country, college offensive line coaches, tight end coaches, uh, all the way to high school offensive line or tight end coaches. Uh, great, great presentations. Again, if you sign up for them and watch them live, they're free. You get to chat with other coaches. Uh, everyone loved our first summit we did with all, all different coaches, but this one is, is geared just uh, towards the offensive line and the run game and, and pass pro. So uh, O-Line Hot Summit, again, it is free. If you just sign up, go sign up. You can watch it live for free. If you miss any of those or you want to re-watch any of those presentations, you can go get the all-access pass also on our website, runthepower.com. Um, go check that out, uh, and, and you'll be able to watch those videos as much as many times as you want with the all-access pass. So um, some really cool things that we're doing with it. Um, it's as cheap as it'll ever be right now up until the 24th. And if you're a premium member and, and watch all of our premium series that we have up on our website, uh, it is discounted for you uh, the entire time. So uh, go check it out. Don't forget about our O-Line Hot Summit. We are very excited to uh, tell you that this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our newest sponsor, Huddle. One-third of U.S. high school football teams already use Huddle Assist to develop their game plans more effectively. This number is only going to get bigger next year. So here's a pro tip. Don't fall behind the competition. Sign up for Assist now before your season starts. Once you wrap up Game 1, all you have to do is upload it to Huddle and click the Assist Submission button. You'll add a few details about the game and then send it. Professional analysts watch every down, charting more than a dozen columns of data for each play. This data automatically filters into the interactive drive charts and tendency reports. In less than a day, all of this is sent directly to you and the other coaches on your team. Simple as that. Once you have the advanced data that more and more of your competitors have, you can take your program to the next level. Ready to get started? You guys can visit huddle.com slash RTP assist to check off data entry from your to-do list. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by Just Play. Just Play, the team at Just Play hooked us up uh, with their product, and we have to say that uh, obviously, as you guys have heard, it's a game changer for us. We especially love the playbook tools that allow us to create our favorite blocking schemes, obviously gap schemes, power, pin and pull, um, uh, counter, and formations so we can save time uh, and be more productive. It's a really cool way they can, you can copy a defense and, and paste it in for each uh, each different play that you want to show and, and it really saves you a lot of time uh just play has a limited offer for just for rtp listeners uh you can get my just play pro for 120 dollars. that's 60 dollars off the normal list price uh this was supposed to end at the very beginning of june and they've extended it for you guys they've extended it now you can get this offer up until june 15th get this deal at justplaysolutions.com slash rtp Best playbook tool on the market at JustPlaySolutions.com slash RTP. Don't wait. Go do it today. This episode is also brought to you by Team Builder. Team Builder provides strength conditioning software to athletic programs around the country. Whether you write your own programs, have a full-time strength, strength coach, or need training programs, Team Builder can make your program more efficient, more accountable, and smarter when it comes to measuring your team's effort in the weight room. Right now, Team Builder is offering a free 10-week spread offense tempo training program when you start a free 14-day uh, trial at teambuilder.com. On this episode of RTP, we talk with Tony Holler. Coach Holler is the head track coach at Plainfield North High School in Plainfield, Illinois. He's also the co-founder of the Track Football Consortium and is a former football coach and chemistry teacher. He's the author of dozens of articles on how to train sprinters and athletes in general with his program, Feed the Cats. Listen as we talk with Coach Holler about his revelations in building and coaching speed, how he motivates his athletes using record, rank, and publish, and tips on how you can practice faster and keep your athletes fresher and ready to perform maximally on game nights. You can follow Coach Holler on Twitter at PNTrack. Hope you guys enjoy. All 
All right. Well, my name is Tony Holler, and I'm probably one of the the stranger guests that you've had on your show because I no longer coach football. Um, I, I write about football, and I have a football background. I was born a coach's kid. My dad coached basketball at the high school and college level for 47 years. Uh, my mom's three brothers all played college football. Uh, so I have a very strong background in, in, in general, general sports. I have coached for 38 years myself. Uh, probably 25 of those have been in football. I've coached in two state championship games in two different states. I've never been a head football coach, uh, which is probably why I still have such strong opinions. I have a feeling like most head football coaches have to kind of join in to conventional thought in order to move up the ladder and get jobs. And I never did that very well. Uh, most of my, uh, I, I teach chemistry five times a day, honors chemistry to 15 year olds, probably the best teaching gig ever. Uh, I have 25 days left in my teaching career. I still plan to continue coaching. Uh, most of my, um, most of my coaching has been uh, in track and field, even though I was a head basketball coach early in my career. But uh, in track and field, uh, we've won state championships. And last year, we were third in the state. Uh, my, my good sprinter ran 10.31 in the 100 at the age of 15. And uh, that, that was a state record, which is pretty unbelievable for a state that has a, a rich 120-year history in track and field. But Marcellus Moore ran 10.31 at age 15. We also set the state record in the four by one last year. So we are known for speed and, and uh, I'm kind of a speed coach and I write a lot about speed and my business um, is called Feed the Cats, which is basically a, a speed-based, kid-based program that changes the way coaches coach. And so uh, the interesting thing with my job uh, or, or what I've been doing is that there are many football coaches that have reinvented themselves as a feed the cats football coach, which is uh, pretty cool to watch. So even though I'm not in football anymore, uh, I still, uh, I live on through uh, uh, vicariously through uh, many of the people that I consult with. Coach, man, I'm going to, I'm going to cut right to the chase. Um, I, I've, I've had a chance to, to study a lot of your stuff and uh, I'm also a chemistry teacher. So that's another thing that, that kind of hits close to home for me. And, and I think, you know, being a, a science person, we're always searching for, you know, answers or searching for some of the best ways. And of course we always want it to be uh, data driven, but I know that you've said it yourself, you, you come up with some ways and, and you'll, you're not really scared. I don't think to call guys out, but <laughs> what, are, what are some of the, what are some of the biggest misnomers that you've kind of, I, I, I'd want to say debunked over the, the several years that you have been coaching, but when it comes to, to coaching speed, to coaching sprinters, to coaching, you know, the quote cats or uh, skill kids, you know, I coach receivers too. What are some of those biggest myths that, that you've seen and, and now have kind of debunked throughout your coaching career? Well, I'll start out, start off with track and field. Um, I, I say that, and this really steps on some toes, Talk about calling people out. Um, <laughs> uh, the um, the guy at Baylor, um, Clyde Hart. Yep. Probably, you know, is the greatest track coach of all times. And I have a slide in my clinic presentations that says that Clyde Hart almost killed high school track and field. And I truly believe he did because he believed in a volume based training system early in the season that progressed to getting faster. What high school coaches did not realize is that, is that Clyde recruited 46 second quarter milers that were elite, elite, elite athletes. And, and they became great at Baylor probably in spite of him. Uh, now, I will have to say that Clyde's a wonderful human being and probably had just an incredibly powerful presence so I'm not being I'm not totally trashing Clyde but what I am saying is if you are not working with speed with high school athletes on a prioritized year-round basis then you are 
that you need to repent and change your ways. So I'm a speed, speed, speed based sprint coach, which makes a lot of sense to me. Um, and then what I do in football, you, talk, you know, since it's a football show, let's debunk some myths here. Um, I think the average head football coach uh, um, attempts to get his athletes tired at practice. And I believe that tired is the enemy, not the goal. Uh, I think that the average football coach would rather um, practice long and hard and lose than to practice short and fast and win. That sounds a little bit out there, but I've seen it happen. Uh, I believe it's a paramilitary type of, of attitude that, that somehow we're turning boys into men and we lose focus on high performance. Because if you're really worried about high performance, you would never let Monday's practice ruin Tuesday's practice. You would never let Tuesday's practice ruin Wednesday's practice. And you would value speed every day. And I don't see that happening uh, at many places. Now, there are places that, uh, that, that do a good job with that. Also in football, I see constantly uh, a top-down mentality where assistants are afraid to speak up. And so they perpetuate the paramilitary type of, of attitude towards the sport where you just are going out and crushing kids. And, and it, it's kind of like coaches are really, really proud when, they, when, when kids struggle to get off the practice field after three hours. And, and they're really proud of how much they accomplished. And I am not a how much guy at all. I'm an essentialist. I'm a guy that if, if, if we're not doing things at top speed, then we're practicing too long. So all those things tend to get me in a little bit of trouble. But to my audience that buys into what I say, it can be a, kind of a life-changing thing. I think that, uh, you know, it's always cool to hear, in my opinion, from some of the track guys, even uh, any of the running coaches, because uh, it, for whatever reason, they seem to be in my football career – um, they seem to be on the on the you know cutting edge of of some of the things that football ends up doing uh, a few years later. Uh, as far as when you know when I was in college, it was um, you know you take an ice bath after everything you do, and then I heard a a guy that you know worked with the USA uh, track, and he had talked about you know you shouldn't ice after certain times, and only after uh, you know different you know different times you should ice, different times you shouldn't. You should wait later, uh, even to where you know, some of our warm-ups that have, that have been different purely because of how tra track athletes um, warm up when they sprint. But uh, it sounds great, right? And, and you talk about let's train speed, speed, and we don't want to wear these guys out. Uh, you want them to be optimal. Um, I think probably the easiest argument for this, and, and I'm, I know you have an answer, that's why I'm, I want to know it, um, is, okay, well then, if, if we're not getting them tired, uh, how are we going to train them, you know, to be able to last? Uh, to not gas out. Yeah, that's that's a great question, and and that is that's one of the one of the handful of questions that when I get phone calls from um, college coaches, high school coaches, etc., um, that's what they want to know. Uh, if you are not taking kids to their failure limits, or actually, many football coaches want to take kids past failure, and and if you're not doing that, how are you going to be good in the fourth quarter? And what I say is, first of all, if you value high performance, the fourth quarter might not even matter. Um, secondly, uh, secondly, the, the reason why teams lose in the fourth quarter, I believe, is way too often blamed on, on conditioning. Uh, I, I don't believe in conditioning. I don't believe in running gassers in a practice, any of that stuff, because it detracts from what you're trying to do, and that's high performance. Um, so. So really what loses games is, is a, a, a fumbled snap, uh, a missed tackle, uh, a dropped ball, and all those things um, I believe can be accredited more to overworking kids during the practice week mm. than to them being tired in the fourth quarter. The, the teams have truly started feeding the cats. They, of course, always give me feedback, and, and they say they are faster and fresher in the fourth quarter because of the, uh, the, the, the less workload during the week. And, and what I try to tell coaches is that I, when, when, 
when I train 400 meter runners, we never run more than 200 meters ever. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, my sprinters never run more than 200 meters ever, ever, ever in practice. Um, our hardest workout all year last year, all year this year has been a 200, 200, 200 with three minutes rest. Of course, that's going really fast. So we never feel like we have to go the full game time, race time limit in order to accomplish that in the game. I believe the game of football should be the hardest workout of the week. Uh, Some coaches, I'd say most football coaches, uh, make it hell all week to make the games feel easy. And what happens instead is that their kids are slow and they got 10 kids on the sideline out of uniform because they're injured. So it's just a different way of looking at things, but it, it's, it's something I feel strongly uh, about. Coach, one of the principles that I, I really like that you do with, with your, uh, your athletes is, is you make it competitive. Um, and I know you guys are always going to, um, you know, record, and I think it was just record, rank, and then publish the kids' results. Yep. Record, I think rank, publish. Record, rank, publish, I, I think is – is a phenomenal, phenomenal motivator for kids. I mean, it's, it goes back to, you know, weight room boards and kids want to chase, you know, maxes, kids want to chase, you know, points, kids want to go play video games and set records. I think it's, it's an ingenious way, especially with today's age where, you know, they want to get instant, you know, credit for, for the things that they do and they want to top the numbers that they're putting up. Yes, I think it's important to put a qualifier on that, that that you must measure what matters. Mm -hmm. And that is, you know, like, for example, as a chemistry teacher, um, we have these uh, ridiculous local assessments now that that drive our, our curriculum. And we are we are measuring things that are easy to measure, not things that are important to measure, but are easy to measure. Uh, no one can give my kids a multiple choice test that will see how much they've learned because a multiple choice test never measures their, uh, their excitement about chemistry, their, um, their excitement about taking a, another chemistry class or excitement about becoming a chemical engineer. And those are the things that really matter in chemistry. It's not being able to tell somebody what E and M and C is on the, um, in the formula equals MC squared. So, Yes, I'm a big record rank publish guy, and I'm a big social media person, and we put, um, we put pictures and rankings on social media after every workout, um, but we are measuring what matters. We're measuring top-end speed or acceleration speed, and those things are really, really important. Now, I, I think that, um, that record rank and publish has a place in the weight room, but then again, I get a little I cringe sometimes because uh, I'm not sure that lifting the most weight is the most important thing in the weight room. So, so we have to always filter that a little bit when we do it. But what Record Rank Publish does is it truly feeds the cats. And when I talk about feed the cats, a lot of people think I'm talking about um, feeding uh, elite athletes. And it kind of was when it when when I first started talking about it, uh, matter of fact, some people thought it was, thought it was racist that you know I'm talking about you know black kids that that run fast are are the cats. But what I find now is that feed the cats is it can cross all kinds of uh, boundaries. Where I believe that that you need to take your big offensive tackles and feed them with high performance. You know, the, uh, it's just amazing to me that the fastest offensive tackles are always the first picked in the NFL draft, even though they're basically like sumo wrestlers that, that take two steps backwards on every snap, <laughs> that somehow the ability to run the 40 fast makes them a, um, a very, very good uh, potential um, long-term offensive tackle in the NFL. They're going to have a good career. And, and so, so all that stuff's really important. But, yes, feeding the cats is all about pushing the buttons of competitive nature. And the kids that don't have that competitive nature, you know, that don't care about that, they're probably not going to be good athletes for you anyway. I completely love – as I say, I completely love that philosophy. And the other thing that I, I think you, you, you hear from a lot of coaches, a lot of them don't put a lot of credence into the 40-yard the dash – that's almost become one of the basic trademarks of, of what you've kind of built your speed program around. Would that be correct? 
That is correct. Uh, 20 years ago, when I flipped the switch from being your conventional track coach, Clyde Hart, uh, 10 times 200, the next day, 10 times 300, you know, just work, 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 you know, we're, we're turning boys into men and all that bullshit. Um, and it, so what I did was basically thought that if I had a program that undertrained athletes by focusing almost solely on speed, that somehow I would get the best athletes in my high school to want to run track, which is saying a lot because, you know, I don't know about you guys, but track in the state of Illinois is just, is just sucks most of the time. I mean, the <laughs> weather, the wind, the rain, the snow, it's just, it's brutal. So to make my sport um, into a, uh, into a sport where great athletes want to be with us, um, I started to feed the cats and the before timing systems and all that, all I had is a stopwatch. So we based our entire program on 40 yard dashes, the entire program. Now, of course, you know, I've, you know, I've gone from, uh, optical systems to now I'm a big free lap guy. And, and so the 40 is still central to my program. Uh, my fastest guy, by the way, Marcellus Moore is the fastest football, uh, junior in the, in the country. Um, at the, uh, combine in St. Louis a couple weeks ago, he ran a laser 4.35. Um, on my system, um, he's run a 4.16, so he's really, really fast, but we record, rank, and publish all that stuff. And, uh, but the 40 is central, and I think it's the 40 is so good for football players because the 40 does, does a drive phase, an acceleration phase, and then it also is max speed at the end. So, so basically, you're accomplishing both things your acceleration and your top end speed. I'm much more of a top end speed guy myself. That's why we do so many 10 meter flies or 20 yard flies and all that stuff where we're testing that basically miles per hour. And I have, I have conversion factors that can turn 10 meter flies into miles per hour that a lot of college coaches are doing now. So, uh, so yeah, I, I just really believe your ability to get your nervous system to send electricity through your body at a, at lightning speeds, um, just just has so much carryover in everything we do as an athlete, even things that are counterintuitive, like being a good offensive tackle. Coach, the first time I'd, I'd kind of heard your stuff and, and read your stuff, actually, our offensive coordinator, it was actually before we reached out to you, but um, our offensive coordinator sent me uh, one of your articles. It was New Ideas for Old School Football Coaches. Yes. Um, and, and so he said, what do you think about this? You know, I think he kind of thought that I, I was going to be against it because although I am young, I've kind of got an old school kind of mindset on most things. <laughs> so I think he was kind of, I think he liked it, but was sending it to me to see if I was going to uh, say how much I hated it and thought it sucked. But uh, he sent it to me, I read it and I was like, uh, probably surprising to you, uh, Wilk, but I, I actually really, really like a lot of the stuff in it. And and one of the parts that I probably liked the most, just because it never made sense to me, was you kind of talk about your how you would practice for um, uh, a game. And, and the one that was uh, a little bit more convention, conventional than just a three-day practice, you had, you had all four days. Um, yeah. You had a Thursday going like a 60-minute fast-paced uh, practice. No hel or no shoulder pads, I think. It was just helmets. But it was, it was uh, you know, guys were running around a little bit. It was uh, a faster pace where all the, the uh, practices I've ever had on, on day before a game have always been slower than slow. Uh, to me, almost no point of even going out to practice if we were going to be that slow and that, uh, un you know, it couldn't hardly be crisp because of how slow it was. Uh, could you give us a little bit of a breakdown on, on that um, – you know, that four-day practice, how, how yeah. you kind of brought it up or how you would kind of set that up? Well, I, I think there's two different ways to go about it. Um, the, the, what you're talking about um, is I was heavily influenced by Jimmy Radcliffe, who um, spoke at one of our track football consortiums, which, by the way, we're having one in June, June 21st, 22nd. It's going to be an amazing event, uh, a speed-based football track, strength and conditioning type thing. You know, we, we have the best people there. You know, it's just, yeah, it's an amazing event, and Chris Corfus and I run it. So, anyway. Where is, where is that going to be? 
That's going to be, uh, it's always in the Chicago area. This Chicago. year it's going to be uh, at Hinsdale Central High School. Okay. Um, so we, we run it in December and in June of every year. So there's two of them. It's just a 24-hour event. And uh, it's fantastic. And, and what we do is we bring in rebel talent. And uh, it, it, when I write my book someday, I may call it rebel talent. And I, I love that term because I think there's too many conformists out there that just, they, they just grow up saying, you know, never questioning the answers and all that stuff. So what Jimmy Radcliffe was big on, and, and this is what uh, Coach Kelly, Coach Kelly is actually famous for this weekly practice plan when he was at Oregon, but he, he actually asked Jimmy Radcliffe, the strength conditioning coach, to develop it for him. So I'm giving the credit to Jimmy. And when I had lunch with Jimmy um, on day two of our consortium a couple of years ago, he told me that basically it was an adaptation of Bill Bowerman's hard, easy concept where, where you go, let's say, easy on Monday to really ramp up for a big Tuesday, a big fast Tuesday. And then, and then you back off on Wednesday. Of course, I'm talking about a high school program here. So I'm adapting it obviously right. in college at Oregon, it'd be, you know, the Saturday game. Um, and then, um, so what a high school coach would do is really back off again on Thursday and do a lot of game prep stuff. So Tuesday would be your big sprint practice. Wednesday would kind of be a recovery day and also set up a, a very neuro, high CNS, fast, fast, fast practice on Thursday, but very small dose. Uh, one of the things that Radcliffe would do with Oregon players when they were in their heyday of, of having maybe the fastest team in history, the NCAA, um, they, would do, um, they would actually do three snatches um, um, as a, uh, CNS, uh, stimulator, uh, in the weight room, uh, they, they would do really, really fast, but not long. No way would they want to get tired the day before a game, obviously be Friday at the college level for us at the high school level would be on a Thursday. So that, that's the whole idea is that you want to ramp up that CNS without getting tired the day before a football game. Um, another thing that Radcliffe was big on was, uh, they were, uh, they would typically practice two hours and they were into football activities in seven minutes. His, uh, dynamic warmup, um, well, let's just say it doesn't look like a warmup. I mean, they're going, they're going hard and fast, short, short, small dose, but in seven minutes they are, they are playing football, which I think, uh, when I watch high school football teams it takes them 40 minutes of slogging around just to get into practice and it drives me yes, nuts it does. oh <laughs> drives me crazy and, and basically they're almost trying to get them tired in the warm-up i mean it's like really i mean you're gonna get them tired don't you want to be fast when you run routes i mean my god so anyway my other idea i think is much more what i do in track and field and that is that that maybe you would want to go uh have your speed days be Monday and Wednesday, have Tuesday be a, a prep day and really a back off Thursday, kind of like what you're talking about. Uh, a coach I coached with down in Tennessee, um, he was a, a Hall of Fame coach and he almost got fired when he first came into Franklin High School because he gave the kids off on Thursday. And I absolutely loved it. I personally, I loved as a football coach getting to go home um, after school one day a week. Damn good for your family, which by the way, uh, most football coaches talk about God and family and all that stuff all the time. And then they, uh, they get divorced and end up being an alcoholic because they practice too damn long. So, uh, so, you know, you need to think about things a little bit. If you are eating, drinking and sleeping football, you may not be a real good family guy. So you're kind of a hypocrite if you are. So anyway, all this, all these things go along with being a healthy human being and a good family man, all that kind of stuff. But I really like either one. I, I, when people think I'm hedging my bets, when I say, well, wait, in, in one thing, you're saying to be high speed on Thursday, the day before a game, and, you know, CNS, you know, we're sprinting, all that kind of stuff. And the other time you're saying take the day off. You know, like how, how can you say both? Well, my overarching principles stay the same. You never let today's practice ruin tomorrow's. So it's kind of a high-low situation during the week. And tired is the enemy, not the goal. If, if, you, if you have those overarching principles, and then 
accept the fact that the game is going to be the hardest thing your kids do all week long and trust and sell it that they're going to tackle and execute in the fourth quarter and you're not going to have 10 kids out of uniform because of the injuries that you have created as a coach. Uh, it just seems to me that things start looking better. And the forgotten part of that whole idea is that when you start practicing like that, football becomes more popular at your school. Um, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, maybe, kids would come out for football no matter what you did to them. You could just, just beat the hell out of them and they would still come out. I'm not so sure if that's the case anymore because basketball players don't want to play football. Uh, a lot of fast kids don't go out for football. And I, I think football is becoming more and more like track all the time where you have got to have a, uh, an attractive program at your school or you won't have your best athletes coming out. I mean, I, I ask coaches sometimes, hey, if Randy Moss was at your school, would he play on your team? Because I'm not so sure. I, I'm most Randy Moss type kids are, are playing basketball and they don't want any part of, the, of what they see in football. So I think you would want Randy Moss out. And if you could change a few things and feed the cats and be a high performance team instead of a paramilitary boot camp type organization, that maybe you get more athletes out. Coach, man, I, again, I couldn't agree more. I think, you know, be, being in the game now for, for 15, 20 years, I'm getting up there as well. I can't, can't touch your years yet, but we'll, we'll keep, uh, keep going for it. <laughs> and so, but, uh, hey, by the way, guys, it's okay if you call me out on this stuff. And, no. <laughs> and because I get called out all the time and I enjoyed it. I, no, Coach, that's, that's the thing. I mean, I, you know, I've had a couple of guys tell me, you know, hey, you need to check out Coach Holler's stuff. And, again, I mean, when you, when you say, you know, I forget what your name was going to be, but the, the Rebel Minds or whatever. Uh, Rebel Talent. Rebel Talent. I mean, that, that's always kind of been more my personality style. I mean, I'm, I'm looking for things to change and things to get better. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here blowing smoke up your rear end either. Um, but I, I notice a lot of these things that you're talking about. When you coach the skill kids, you, you have to have a different mentality for them. And it can't, it can't be, I mean, I still think, yeah, you have to instill some of your, your high standards and we're going to do quality work, but it's, it's a lot different beast than, you know, having to coach offensive line. You know, there's, there's yep. certain things that you have to do. And it's like you said, I mean, you, you can't treat the cats like dogs, I think was one of the yep. things you'd said. And I think it's, it's so important to be able to, to do that with your kids because they understand that coach cares about me and coach understands a little bit more about what it takes maybe to be a skill guy rather than just breaking me down and tossing me into the ground. I want those kids to be fast. I want those kids to feel really, really good. And I want those kids to be confident when it comes game day, they're just chomping at the bit to get out on the field and go get after it. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I, I think that uh, those kids will really respond. You know, one of the things that there's, there's a coach in Illinois that coaches at a very small school, and you may have heard of him by now, and he'd be a great guy to get on your show, a guy named Brad Dixon. And uh, he has totally gone feed the cats crazy. I mean, like totally – I mean, they, they time um, a couple times during the week in season. They're timing like 10-yard flies and 40s, and they're record ranking and publishing in season. And his team speed – literally improved every week for 14 weeks. Of course, he played for the state championship because that's what happens when you, you're a great coach. And uh, so they lost in the state championship. I shouldn't say that. Um, but anyway, uh, one, the thing that he said was the hardest thing in the world in his transition from being a meathead to a feed the cast guy is that he had to tell his receivers to not be afraid to walk back to the line, you know, between routes, that, that hustling between plays and hustling between drills was not Im as important as high speed during that route or high speed during that drill. And, and, you know, we've just been brought up in a religion, basically a football where, where the practice is the coach's canvas and that the coach is the artist and it just looks bad when there's ever any walking or loitering at the drinking fountain or anything like that, it just looks bad. And, you know, I think coaches so, sometimes 
would sacrifice performance for the way things look. And I, I talked to somebody who'd seen a NFL practice and he said, man, those guys are lazy. And I think that's what football coaches see when they see a high performance football practice. They don't see the fact that the guy is running, you know, at 24 miles an hour in their pass route. What they see is the guy catching the ball and kind of walking back so that, so that he can run 24 miles an hour on the next route. And, and you know, the, the guy that grows up in the religion of football sees it as laziness, and I, I see it as high performance. It's really hard because I, I read your article, and, and that was the, the, that's a tough one to get over. Um, like you said, watching someone walk back, but it makes sense in that uh, you want this kid to be able to do it at full speed when it's his turn to run her out. I, I think you said in one of your articles it was like um, – he's going to be, you know, running it at whatever sub-optimal level. And then in the game, you're kind of expecting him to run his route or do his performance at, uh, at 100%. And most of the times he's doing that in practice is not at 100% of his effectiveness. And so uh, th- there's a little bit of difference there. Um, also, I think it, it probably, as a coach, you'd have to, um, you'd have to really be conscious of, of how your practice was planned out um, and made sure, you know, maybe there's two or three groups that can go that way you're, you're not wasting, you know, or, or maybe in your opinion, it's okay to waste those 30 seconds. But to me, it'd be like, okay, can we get another group, <laughs> we get another group going that way those guys can still walk back, but we're not out here for two and a half hours. We're only out here for two hours or whatever that is. Correct. And I, I think, I think there's a difference between a speed practice and a non-speed practice. I, I think you have to, if, if you want your guys really fast, you have, it has to be kind of choppy. And, and in a non-speed practice where guys are not getting up to top speed, you can crowd efforts together a little bit more, but, but yeah, I, you know, and coaches say, now wait, 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 how, how we have to run a play every 25 seconds. So so they do have to learn how to run back to the huddle. And that's where I tell people, you have to trust it. You have to trust it. That I promise that kids that are trained running no more than 200 meters in practice, ever. And most of our practices, we run three 10-meter flies and go home. That they still run the 400 very well. That in a game, you want kids, yeah, they'll be a little winded, but you want them so used to, to practicing fast that they can get that job done. But I, I know how hard it is for football coaches. I think I said in my article that a coach would rather submit to a colonoscopy than to watch <laughs> a 10-minute water break. I, you know, it's, it, it, it hurts us. It hurts us to, to, to watch any type of loitering. But when you, when you see uh, an NFL football game and, and you realize that an NFL football game is, is – is, crazy the amount of loitering they they hardly play in football at all in a three hour and 15 minute segment it's just you know i mean the average play is five seconds the average game time is three hours 12 minutes um the the total time uh of actually televised loitering in an nfl football game is 75 minutes 75 minutes of televised standing around but yet, as football coaches, we want kids to be in constant movement. So I think it's really important. I, I don't think I really realized when Johnny Wooden said this what it really meant. But when I think about football and what I'm trying to tell people is that um, don't mistake activity with achievement. That just because you're moving around does not mean you're accomplishing the things that matter. So, so I know, if the, you know, the parents that are like watching practice and stuff, they're, they're going to wonder if you're really getting those boys in shape. But, but I think that, you know, high performance wins more games than conditioning. <laughs> Coach, um, what do you kind of do? So, so you know, you, you, I put myself in, in my shoes. I've got skill athletes who run track, who play baseball, and have to play prepare for football or get ready for football um, in the summertime. Because in Iowa, the, the summertime – is basically open moratorium once it hits June 1st. All sports have access. We have two months to kind of prepare. What would you be recommending for those skill athletes as far as, you know, trying to maintain a level of, of top-end speed, right, yeah. for, to being able to perform, but at the same time knowing that I'm going to have to share them 
with other, as you've called it, zealots for their sport. <laughs> Good God. <laughs> I, I, I mean, <laughs> the, I can't believe I put up with this for 38 years. You know, all, as you guys know, there are so many battles that we fight every freaking day, you know, whether it's eligibility or the zealots out there that are ruining kids and all that. But anyway, <laughs> I, I, I would say the first thing is do no harm. Um, make sure that your program in the summer is a program where athletes want to be in your program. Now that is, that is really, really, uh, uh, radical football ideas in the first place, because most football coaches are like to hell with them. They're in my program. You know, I mean, you know, we're going to work them, you know, and, and the old Bear Bryant type of junction boys, you know, we're, we're going to separate the, the weak minded from the strong minded, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So I would say the first thing you do is make sure that you, your summer does not run athletes off. And, and the opposite, I used to say, hey, we started the summer with, you know, I, I did a lot of freshman coaching in my career. And I used to brag that on the first day we had 48 kids and at the end of the summer we had 71. Um, that's the type of program that, that I would want to have. And those 23 kids that came out, you would hope those 23 kids were like fast kids that played basketball, you know. Uh, you, you don't want the bad kids to come out, but you want to attract the cats. You want to attract the high-end athletes. So those kids that are playing multiple sports, boy, the last thing you want to do is, is make them choose because then you lose some of them. Mm -hmm. So I'd say that's the first thing. And then the second thing is just the whole thing, less is more. Just take off the chains of that, that, that you feel like somehow you have to condition these kids that, you know, they're going to gain 20 pounds like, like professional athletes 50 years ago used to do in the summer. These, these kids, if, if you train them high speed, low dose, they're, they're still going to have no body fat. And, and, you know, teach your, your big kids how to eat and how to sleep. And maybe they won't show up so fat, you know, come season time. But I just don't think that, you know, you just don't have to be thinking, get them in shape, get them in shape. What you have to do is get them strong and fast and powerful and explosive um, in small doses. Because if you do too much, on Monday, you're going to have a bad Tuesday. And so I go back to that thing. You never let today's workout ruin tomorrow's workout. If you ever do a really hard workout, um, I would always do that at the end of the week because you got a couple of days off. But, uh, boy, it, it, summer's really hard because I think, I think multi-sport athletes are your best football players. So you don't want – you know, you got to have them. Mm -hmm. but, but like you say, you know, they're going to be doing crazy track workouts with – crazy AAU coaches and, and uh, their baseball, they'll be playing three double headers a day. You know, it's crazy. Coach, you know, you said, you said that a few times, don't let today's uh, workout ruin tomorrow's. Is, is that your, your same philosophy going into like an actual weight room workout as well? I know I've heard and, and read, and I don't know who, who coined it or, or who, which version it is, but uh, basically it was, uh, you know, if normally a, a guy does three sets of 10 and then he's, you know, so sore that for two or three days now he can't um, squat, right? And so now you've ruined those two or three days. Well, that's 30, 30 reps where if you would just go, um, I forget what it was, like sets of three or four with a lot of rest in between, now you're yep. getting the same amount of reps, but you're not ruining yourself for the next two days. You're never going to failure, you know, most of the time not even close to failure but you're still getting those reps in and you're able to uh, work th that same thing in, in a few days or, or however you want to do that. Are you, do you have that same mindset when, when you're working out your kids in the weight room as well? Yeah, I, I think you probably can anticipate my answer. Um, uh, first of all, it shocks people when they say, what kind of weight training do you do during the track season? I say none. Um, they, they think I'm lying and <laughs> we don't. Um, Marcel Smore. 1031 in the 100 last year at the state meet. He ran 1036 in his first outdoor meet this year. Uh, 20.88 last year in the 200 meters. Uh, 20.89 this year in his first outdoor track meet. Uh, he's had offers from 40-some schools. Um, at our last track meet, Penn State, Michigan, and Vanderbilt were all at our track meet football teams. Um, so, so that kid doesn't lift. And he's, a, you know, like the fastest – 16 year old I've ever seen 
Um, just amazing. Um, now he looks like he lifts because the truly great ones um, have really good natural strength. And there's a difference between natural and artificial strength. And God, everybody's going to hate me for saying that. Strength is strength. You know, no, it's not. Natural strength is much more functional than artificial strength. Just because you see Marcellus Moore that has this ripped up body does not mean he got there in the weight room. You know, when, when I see Marcellus Moore, I say, oh, my God, what an amazing sprinter. What a football coach sees is we got to get our kids in the weight room more. And if they only knew, he'd never been in the weight room. You know, he doesn't – well, he does, but he fakes it, you know. Um, so, anyway, yeah, what I believe is that the old adage that you work to a failure in the weight room is wrong because failure ruins tomorrow. Uh, I, I would microdose in the weight room just like I microdose speed training. Uh, we would have a short, spirited, high-quality workout in the weight room that did not cause, you know, like squatters flu or whatever they call it, um, you know, where, where you're sick for the rest of the week because you've worked too hard. Um, in track, especially, I say, why would I want a secondary recovery issue? I mean, sprinting is a recovery issue in and of itself. Why would I want two recovery issues by lifting weights in the season? Um, the, uh, um, the weight room stuff, there was something else I was going to add there. Let me think what it was. Um, oh, I, I know what it was. It was somebody actually asked me one time, says, you know, why in sprint training do you, do you stop before failure? And in the weight room, you're supposed to go to failure. And I said, well, in my opinion, you shouldn't go to failure. And it all goes back to something I talk about constantly, and this is something called hormesis. Hormesis is the idea, um, it's actually you know, like hundreds of years old. Um, like 400 years ago, um, there was a guy named Paracelsus that, that said that um, everything's a poison, poison, nothing is a poison, it all depends on the dosage. And then 200 years ago, Hugo Schultz said, for every, small, for every substance, small doses stimulate, moderate doses inhibit and large doses kill. And these things are actually said about like pharmaceuticals. Like, you know, you take two aspirin, it's really right. good for you. A hundred aspirin will kill you. And so I, I just believe that dosage is really, really important that you never want to burn the steak. You always want to cook the steak, um, undercook it because you don't know when that guy starts hitting diminishing returns and then goes downhill and ruins tomorrow. So, I always want my kids to go home with some gas left in their tank. And man, that, that's hard for football coaches because Very. that's not the religion that they grew up with. Right. They grew up with you take them to tank empty and then you push them past that point. And I mean, I can remember back in double sessions, my junior year in football, I was a quarterback and they worked us so hard in the morning session of double sessions that I could barely get out of my bed to go to the second session that day. I was ruined for two weeks based on that first morning practice. And those coaches were high-fiving about it. And I don't think that's effective in terms of high performance. No, de most definitely not. I, again, got to completely agree with you on that. Um, you've also said a few things as far as, you know, sprinting itself is one of the best, um, li quote, lifts that a, a skill kid can do. Yes, I, I think that sprinting is the most underrated strength exercise in the world. And uh, um, I don't know if you guys know Michael Boyle. Um, Michael Boyle is on the uh, Mount Rushmore of strength and conditioning coaches. And I wrote an article a couple summers ago, um, 10 facts I wish every um, – 10 sprint facts I wish everyone knew. And basically I just – I kind of just – just went nuts on meatheads, you know, like, like all, you know, like debunking all the myths, you know, toughness, strength, uh, all those things. And basically talked about how sprinting is pretty simple. You sprint as fast as possible, as often as possible, staying as fresh as possible. That's what sprinting is all about. It's not about, you know, toughness. It's not about how much you can squat and all those kind of things. And it really it obviously pissed off a bunch of weight room people because that's their, you know, I have this, this idea that most weight room people are, um, are, were slow athletes in high school. They never won a race and they had speed envy. They didn't like the fast wide receiver that scored the touchdowns. 
Um, uh, the kid, the people that are in weight rooms now are kids that came early, stayed late, loved their coach, and then got a lot of positive things themselves from the weight room. So they decided to have a career in the weight room. And I kind of rattle their cage a little bit when I start talking. The weight room is not the be all end all. It's not where champions are made. And it just really upsets them. So anyway, Michael Boyle, getting back um, to my point, uh, Michael Boyle, instead of like hating on me, he flew me to Boston to talk to his 25 people and, and said that uh, he introduced me uh, as a heretic. He said, I like heretics. And to this day, ever since he flew me to Boston, they have incorporated uh, two speed workouts a week as part of their, as part of their strength training. And uh, he says it's so easy. We go through a few sprint drills. We time them three times doing a short sprint, and we record, rank, and publish. And he says it totally changed his world as, as a strength conditioning coach. And, you know, that's a type of open-mindedness, you know, that, that I wish more people had. You've touched it on a, a few times about, about um, you know, warm-ups. And, and this has been my big, um, my big fight, and, and I haven't been very vocal about it, but the, the thing that I've probably hated my entire life uh, is warm-ups. As a, as a big, fat guy playing offensive line, always hated warm-ups. They were my least favorite part of practice. Uh, and then now as a coach, I see them, and, um, and, and I could be way off basis, but – I was never athletic enough to even really – I didn't believe even need warm-ups. I thought we could get started with football, and I could have started that minute, and I'd have been fine. Um, yeah, I don't know how true scientifically that is, but uh, you had talked about even like a, a short seven-minute fast-paced uh, warm-up and then uh, a coach that you had saw, and then they were in into uh, starting, starting their practice. What's your, what's your opinion on what a good warm-up would be or, or the timing of a warm-up or – uh, even crazier, do you think that all kids need to warm up before they start practicing? I don't think that's crazy. Uh, I told you earlier that I was a head basketball coach for nine years, and my dad was a head basketball coach for 44 of his 47 years of coaching. And, you know, basketball players went and shot around, you know, for 10, 15 minutes before practice. And the first drill was always an up-and-down drill. I mean, you, you, you did some fast break drill to start. So, so you're – the drill was a full speed thing in order to get full speed. We literally did not stretch. We didn't do any, you know, like pull your knee to your chest type of crap. You know, um, we didn't do, we just, you know, Hey, when it, when it was three o'clock practice started right. and, um, our warm up was basically just shooting the ball some. So I'm not sure that you need a full warm up. Um, but I would do one. It, 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 how about this? You know, uh, it's been known by sprint coaches for 25, 30 years now, the static stretching, static stretching uh, decreases power. Right. Basically, if you, mm -hmm. um, if you stretch a rubber band, it will not shoot as far. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, we haven't static stretched that I can remember in, you know, like two decades. So, um, so to see, even NFL teams line up in like military precision and stretch. Um, it, it just makes me shake my head, but you know, there's something that, you know, that's, that's just part of football where you need to walk the lines and see who's missing. And, you know, you talk to some of the guys and stuff like that. So if that's important to you, you know, just realize that you're doing no positive good <laughs> by stretching. But, but I mean, but you, I hate to say this, but my teams used to stretch just because it was a good way to find out who was missing. Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, to talk to a couple of kids, you know, like, Hey, you, you got your English grade straightened out or, you know, those kind of things. It was just a way to kind of, I mean, it was dumb that we did it, but I'd never thought that we were accomplishing anything. It was just a dumb, meaningless way to start practice. So what what Jimmy Radcliffe did at Oregon and what I would do is basically go through, you know, a series of, of full motion speed drills. You know, you can do, you know, not, you're not trying to get in shape. It's not conditioning, 
but you know, I, I would think you would do some type of defensive slide like basketball players do. Um, you go both directions, you know, some type, you know, like a couple of things where you're getting your knees up. Um, you're doing some type of uh, uh, explosive work where you're doing some, some, we call them five box jumps or, or, you know, some uh, bounding. Um, yeah, I, I, I would do um, those types of things uh, for a very short period of time. And once again, very, very key is that tired is the enemy. There's, I mean, I've seen, I've witnessed practices where, where guys, I mean, literally 40 minutes where, where stations were a part of the warm up, you know, like doing agility bag stuff, up and up downs, monkey rolls, uh, just mindless stuff. Uh, literally to, you know, to add to the conditioning that's going to make us good in the fourth quarter. And all they were doing is making their kids tired and slow for the rest of practice. And then on that same point, you just talked about, we don't static stretch, but then I also see, and something that's never made sense to me, but maybe it does, uh, is, is guys that in the weight room, uh, they're sore or whatever, they're about to do a big lift, and then they get on the foam rollers, which I'm, I'm completely out on all foam rollers, even though they might have some, <laughs> they might have all the science in the world behind them, I'm not sure, but I'm out on them. Uh, but I'm definitely out on them before uh, doing something. Have Have you looked into that at all? Do you have yeah. any thoughts on on that before an activity? For sure. Yeah, I. Um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not big on ice. I'm not big on foam rollers. Uh, I think planks are. You know, I want to know who ever thought that was a good athletic move. Um, <laughs> especially like competition planks, like, Hey, we're going to try to plank for seven minutes straight. You know, like, are you kidding me? That, that makes no sense at all. Um, so no, I'm not big on any of those things. Matter of fact, um, we have, there, there's a curse of sprinting where if you do a lot of high speed, high CNS work, sometimes your, your hamstrings get tight and you're not injured. It's kind of like a brain shutdown. And the more you foam roll, the more you, increase that brain hamstring connection hmm. and the more you get it massaged the more you do it and the more you rub on it the more you ice it the more you scrape it the more you stem it all those things increase that brain to hamstring connection and we want to decrease it so i say leave it to hell alone don't be messing with your hamstring if it's tight and then we also do i don't know if you guys know anything about reflexive performance reset mm -hmm. It's called RPR, and I have, yeah, I've definitely written about activation, which is the predecessor to it, and RPR more than any person in the United States or maybe in the world. Uh, I have about ten articles on it. My my uh, business partner, and good friend Chris Corfist, is uh, the owner of the company along with Cal Dietz and J. L. Holdsworth, and um, RPR is just you know. Well, Clemson um, got fully trained on RPR last year. And, you know, most people thought they won because they had a better quarterback. But uh, I think it was the RPR that probably did it. But <laughs> I'm, I'm being, yeah. Anyway, it didn't hurt me. Uh, but RPR is basically teams that practice it uh, basically have done away with concussions. It's unbelievable. Um, they move faster, play with more reckless abandon. It clears your head. Uh, uh, there's no way that we would have been, you know, the best sprint team in Illinois for the last five years without it. Um, so, yeah, RPR is really, really good stuff. You know, I, I want to make sure I plug that because it's it's everywhere now. If you look it up, I mean, people are, are actually just crazed about it. But, no, um, uh, the RPR stuff I'm, I'm a huge believer of, believer in, uh, but I'm not a believer in the foam rolling and all that. Coach, if you were to kind of uh... – you know, say maybe like your your two or three biggest things as part as part of a philosophy. And I know you've touched on a bunch of them, but you know, getting close to an hour here, what would kind of be the two to three things that that you would say? Hey, you're coaching skill athletes. Here's some things that 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 I've really seen, and and these things I think will will make you better almost immediately. Uh, well, first of all, I mean, we keep going back to skilled athletes, and and the more I'm around performance, the more I see that all athletes should be treated as skilled athletes. Mm -hmm. And I, that, that's, I'm swimming upstream, I know. But, <laughs> but I truly believe if the NFL values speed of their offensive tackles as much as they do, that we should be doing things 
to get our offensive tackles faster. There must be some inherent value in the ability to move fast. Um, another thing I think is really important, and this is this is big with all my feed the cat stuff, is that um, the. <clears throat> The reason why when I go to a clinic or something, uh, people say that, I'm re- they, that I remind them of an evangelical preacher um, uh, when I'm, <laughs> I'm talking about it. And the reason I'm so passionate about it is it's so damn good for kids. And kids have one chance to go through it. And I think, you know, I, I, I have seen too many kids go through, especially football programs, that were abusive. And, um, and the coaches thought it was just fine because that's the way they were coached. And I don't think you have to be abusive. I think that if you put the kids first and, and really make, a, I mean, you know, as a chemistry teacher, I want, I want my students going home saying chemistry is my favorite subject. I want them going home and telling their parents uh, what they loved about the demos that I did in class. I'm no different as a football coach, as a basketball coach, as a, as a track coach. I, I want to be their favorite sport. And there's too many coaches out there that are like, I don't want to be their friend. I want to win, you know, something like that. You know, all the slogans and crap that football coaches buy into. And I, I really believe you got to put the kids first. And then I, I believe that coaches have to put their families first. Mm-hmm. And, and I am um, on a crusade about, about coaches maintaining balance uh, and, and, and not saying, okay, I'm a terrible father and husband four months a year, but I'll make it up to you. I, I don't agree with that. Um, I, I, I think that, you know, a two-hour practice. Well, I, I was going to tell you this, that, that several of the coaches that adopted my ideas have written me after the season and said the most important thing that my program did for them was that their coaches were so energetic at the end of the season, that their assistants were not on a death march come the 10th, 12th, 13th week, that – I, this is this is sick, but but I'm telling you, this actually happens. I've had coaches that that have told me in football that they were that they were not necessarily happy, but it was a bittersweet thing when they lost in the playoffs because the damn season was finally over, and and the time spent by coaches, uh, the the stress. Of, of the marriage, the stress on the family, their kids, all those things made it so that, hey, at least I can, you know, go home now. And I don't think you have to choose between those two choices. I think it's a false choice. Um, you, know, I, you know, at the age of 60, um, you know, I wasn't perfect or anything, but I had four kids. And, uh, um, and I think overall, I balanced it pretty good. Absolutely stuff to live by, man. I Again, couldn't agree more. Oh, you guys are just being nice, telling me you agree. <laughs> you, no, you guys I mean, it's, it's always a good thing to uh, put your family first, huh? I mean, I don't think you're going out on a limb on that one. Uh, there you go. <laughs> well, Coach, man, I, again, it's been a blast. Um, I've I've looked into you know coming out to the uh, to the the track football consortium. I know it's it's relatively close to me over here in Iowa, so I'm, I'm hoping I can get over to one of those. And, you know, and I, and I, again, I just want to thank you for, you know, for, for kind of sticking your neck out there. And I know that you have a, a following of guys, but, you know, to me, that's, that's extremely admirable. Um, you're not scared to, to say some of those things. And, and I think a lot of that, uh, the things that you are saying, if, if people really open their mind and open their heart a little bit and, and at least have a conversation about it, I mean, heck, we could do a million podcasts on, you know, the state of our country and the state yes. of the world and listening, you know, to, to, to both sides bicker back and forth, but, you know, to actually just listen to what people are saying and, and to, to listen to some of the data and, and see how a lot of these things really do influence programs and influence people and how that energy just kind of like you've, you've already stated flows through a program and you don't feel horrible about having, you know, to, to go to work that day. It's amazing what happens. Yeah. I, I, I really think that, that when people are, are happy and healthy that they really do good things and and i would say happy and healthy are not you know really on the priority list of many football coaches you know that's not that's not real high on their list and 
and it could be. And I think, I think there, there's a lot of strength condition coaches right now that, that are starting to understand that, um, where, where they care about the player's emotional well-being. And, and, you know, there's so much good stuff about sleep out there now. You know, I, I mean, I wish I knew the things about sleep back when I was an athlete because I thought sleep was just an inconvenience. And now I know it's, the, it's more important than practice which is saying a lot. But when you were younger, you probably would have had other stuff to do instead of sleep. Oh, that's I, where I was at. I, I knew a little bit about it, but I, I just had so much other stuff I wanted to be doing. I don't know about you, but my sleep. favorite hours of the day were when adults went to sleep. Mm-hmm. And whether I was alone in my room at night or was out, uh, <laughs> I mean, there was no better time than those late night hours. <laughs> That's right. And so, uh, my God, how do we, you know, but I also know that that eight or nine hours of sleep to an athlete is there's literally nothing they can do or eat that would be more important. Hey, man, I wish I could get eight or nine hours of sleep. <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice? I don't practice what I preach. I, I, I like, yeah, yeah, that's right. I think my brain would function a whole lot better if I slept a little bit more. <laughs> do as I do as I say. Well, Coach Matt, again, it's been a blast having you on. Um, you know, lo- love to pick your brain some other time. I know an hour kind of flies by when we we get to have cool conversations like this. But you know, appreciate you taking some time during the uh, the busy track season and. Uh, I know you got a, a couple of fans now in Oklahoma and Iowa, and we'll be we'll be following to see how how well it goes. And like I said, I, I look forward to to hopefully being able to to hook up and meet up with you at some point. Well, that'd be fun. This has been a, a fun time for me. I, I don't get a chance to uh, unleash my ideas on football enough. You know, I have a lot of build up hostility. You know that, but no, I, I have a lot of fun. You guys do good work. So uh, good luck to you guys. And that's going to do it for this episode of RTP. We want to again thank all of our sponsors. You guys make sure and go check them out. Help grow our community by telling other coaches about Run the Power. And if you enjoy Running the Power, go get your shirt, long sleeve, or hoodie at runthepower.com. Also, if you have any topics or any questions you would like for us to discuss in the next podcast, simply rate our podcast and then leave a comment in the writer review section of the podcast app. This will help our podcast rating as well as it'll allow us to answer the questions you all want answered. Make sure and go check out our blog at runthepower.com. Follow me on Twitter at Harper underscore Coach and Coach Walls at Coach Brady Walls. Run the Power now also has its own Twitter and Instagram, and you can find that at Run the Power. Hope you guys enjoyed this one. Talk to you soon.